Thank you. Well, good morning again. It's lovely to be here with you. I do really enjoy uh, these opportunities to come and share with you. And uh, it, it's, I consider it a great honour. And uh, I know that uh, when I get a text or a message from David um, Bishop, and he says, would you come? I think, yes, I'm going to be able to go and be with those lovely people again. Um, so, as I indicated talking with the children, I want to spend some time this morning thinking about uh, the first chapter of the book of Ruth. Um, I'm not going to read the first chapter to you again because I more or less covered it all um, in a slightly simplified version um, by doing the, what I did with the children. But I think what would be helpful is for us just to reflect on the fact that um, what it was like at that time. So the book of Ruth nestles between the book of Judges and the two books of Samuel. Um, and it was a time in Israel's history where they didn't have a king. Um, they went through a cycle of, of, of people that were called judges who came and rescued the people um, from the various enemies that were all around them. It was a bit of a cyclical process because um, there would be a crisis in the nation, they would um, be rescued, they would um, turn away from God again and they would cry out to God and God would raise up another judge and so on. And the very end of the book ends with this phrase that says that in those days Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. And uh, that's an interesting phrase, everyone did as they saw fit. I guess there were, I mean, there definitely were some people who were very, very godly people who, who maintained their faith and were faithful to the Lord. But typically, the nation descended into uh, a godless behaviour and mixing with the nations around them, worshipping foreign gods and things like that. And at the start of this story, we're in a season when we don't know whether there was a judge in control or not, but um, there's a man in Bethlehem who has two sons and a wife. His name was Elimelech. His name is a fantastic name. His name means God is my king. You don't get much better names than that, do you? My God is my king. If you're a Christian, that's what your name is. My God is my king. And his wife's name was Naomi. And again, another beautiful name. Her name means pleasant or, or lovely. And they're facing a crisis. The crisis is that there is famine in the land. And although they live in a place um, close to Bethel, which was the, meant the bread, bread basket, it was the, the house of bread, um, a place that was supposed to be a place of plenty, they were facing a famine. Um, and they wondered what to do in that time of crisis. And so um, Elimelech decides, taking leadership for his family, that he will take his family to seek refuge in Moab. Just before we think about what that meant, let's just pause for a moment to think about where we find ourselves today, because I think that there are many parallels um, between Israel at that time and the crisis that Elimelech and Naomi faced and where we find ourselves. We live in a nation, don't we? Live in a world where everyone seems to do what seems right in their own eyes. Now, there are many, many good people who, who love and serve the Lord across the nations and in our nation. And we've had a wonderful example in our Queen, and our prayer is that Charles will pick up that mantle and live in that as well. But equally, there are many people, and, and I don't want to get political today, but we could perhaps quite quickly number some people who have very prominent positions in our society who just seem to do whatever they think is right in their own eyes and, and don't, don't have any kind of moral compass that seems to guide them in what they do other than they do what they see fit. 
We also see the parallel because we live in a time when there are many refugees traveling across the world, whether they're escaping from wars or famines or persecution for all sorts of reasons. And I don't know, maybe even there's some of you who've welcomed some of the Ukrainian refugees into your homes. Certainly there are Ukrainian refugees who have been welcomed into homes in Basingstoke. And Elimelech and, and Naomi are refugees. They flee from Israel to Moab in the hope they will find food and find safety and security. It was also a time of famine would be a time of economic insecurity. And as we think about the, the cost of living rises and the, the challenge of energy price rises, and maybe even, I don't know, could we even face rationing of sports uh, for our fuel or, or for maybe even food, some, some foods later in the year or early next year? I don't know if that will happen, but, but economic uncertainty, economic crisis, we face that, and that would have been the experience of, of this family. So Elimelech makes a decision for the sake of his family for their security and well-being to provide food to them he decides to go to moab and you might think well that doesn't sound like such a terrible idea until you recall the fact that god had specifically told the nation of israel not to intermingle with the nations around them and in fact the Moabites were picked out specifically as one of the people who were not permitted to come into the assembly of God's people. And so to go to Moab was to go into the heart of, if you like, the most godless nation that you could possibly go to. And so Elimelech, whose name says, my God is king, decides to go to a place that worshipped Shemosh and practiced child sacrifice and do abominable things in order that he might provide security for his family. And to begin with, it seems like it kind of works because his family is provided for and they have two boys. Um, one is called um, Marlon and one is called Killian. Interesting names to give your sons. Marlon means sickly. Killian means failing. I don't recommend any of you who may be expecting to have children to call your children by those names. Um, but that's the names they were given. I think that kind of expresses the, the insecurity and, the, and the, the, tr the difficulty they were facing as a family. And those names come to be kind of prophetic because although the boys grow up to become men and they marry Moabite women, again, something that God expressly forbade his people from doing, both Elimelech and the two boys die. And you have these three women. Naomi, who is a little bit older, probably past the age of having children herself, certainly past the age of any expectation of, of being able to get married, of an age when she would be um, becoming more dependent upon her sons and their sons' families to support them. And the two women, Orpah and Ruth, And so we see that Naomi, who is in one sense one of the heroes of this book, but she only gets mentioned a few times. Um, we see Naomi reach this point where she now has a fresh crisis because the place she'd gone to, the place she'd sought security with her husband, has now become a place of great, great sadness. 
But she has heard that back in Israel, the harvest has set in and there's plenty of food there. And she decides, well, perhaps now is the time for me to go home. I've got nothing left here. These women are probably going to marry other men and, and have families and, and they probably won't take care of me. Let me go back to my own people. And so she sets off on this journey and the two women go along with her to, to see her on her way. And Naomi's plan is that when they get to the border and she starts to cross over, then she'll send the two back to go and back to their mother's homes and to have the opportunity to get married. But these women have seen something in Naomi, despite the fact that later in the story that we read today, she says, don't call me Naomi, meaning pleasant or lovely, call me Mara, meaning bitter. Such was the, the pain that she felt in her life. I wonder if any of you ever feel like that, that you feel like your name is bitter. But they've seen something in her and I think quite probably Naomi did maintain worship of the Lord. I don't know whether the men did or not, but I think that there was something about her that was a, a kind of a, an ongoing practice of faith that her daughter-in-law had seen. Because although Orpah decides to go back, Ruth makes this incredible decision. This wonderful, wonderful, one of the most beautiful statements, I think, that you see in the Old Testament, where she says that, don't send me back to my own people. I want to come with you. I want to stay with you for the, the rest of my days. I want to, to go wherever you go. I want your people to become my people. I want your God to be my God. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And so when Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Isn't that just the most beautiful statement of commitment and love that someone can make to another person? And the fact that she says, your God will be my God, seems to suggest to me too that she understood that this wasn't just simply the commitment of a, of a woman who loved an older woman, wanted to show respect and care, but actually that there was a, a faith beginning to develop in her into the one true and living God. And at the point that Ruth makes that incredible statement of commitment, that incredible promise, she doesn't know the end of the story. She doesn't know what returning to Israel would be like. When they head to Bethlehem, they're met and the people say, is that Naomi? And it wasn't simply just because she was in the distance and it was a bit hazy. She'd become haggard and gaunt. She, the, the years had not treated her well and she was only just recognisable. Her sadness and her grief and her bitterness had, had made her lacking in hope. But for Ruth, she was moving into a strange land. She was moving into a land where she would be a foreigner. She was moving into a land where not only would she be a foreigner, but she would be a foreigner from a land that was hated by the Israelites, an enemy, a land that God has said they should have nothing to do with. So she was 
making this wonderful step of commitment to Naomi and to Naomi's God, to our God, that was taking her into a place where she didn't know what the future would hold. I guess many of you in this room know the story of Ruth quite well, so you know the outcome. You know that there's this wonderful romance that kind of develops with Boaz, and he, he provides for Naomi and for Ruth from the gleanings of the harvest. And then actually, um, Ruth, Naomi remembers that he's the, what's called the kinsman redeemer, which means that um, he actually does have an obligation under Israelite law um, to marry um, Ruth, I guess, or Naomi, but to marry Ruth. Um, and the, the, pro, the process develops and she gets married and, and Boaz and, and Ruth. And Boaz is probably more Elimelech's age, I suspect, than Marlon and Killian's. He was certainly an older man because he makes a comment about that, how honoured he is that she didn't look to some of the younger men for this um, obligation to be fulfilled. And then they go on and have children and in that line you, you get King David and as I indicated with the children, carrying further down the line, we discover that Ruth is named in the genealogy of Jesus as one of his ancestors. So she is a key part to play in the history of salvation, not just for herself and for Naomi, but for um, God's people and for us. But at the end of this chapter, where Ruth makes that promise, she doesn't know that's going to happen. She has no idea what the future will hold and whether her commitment to Naomi is actually going to be a life of hard work and poverty, and what would happen to her when Naomi passes on and Ruth is left alone. So I think with these three characters, Elimelech, Naomi and Ruth, we see three different ways that people can respond to a crisis. And we all face crises, don't we? I don't know if you are anxious about uh, the, the, the cost of living rises and fuel costs and things like that as we start to feel the chill as the winter weather starting to settle in, even though it's a glorious sunny day. Or maybe there's other crises, health crises or crises in your family, crises in your work. We all face crises at certain points in our lives. And how are we going to respond in those crises? Are we going to be people who are like Elimelech, who do a pragmatic thing, find solutions that kind of seem to get us through. And maybe in the short term it will seem to go okay with us because we've made those decisions and we feel justified in making those decisions. But they're decisions which aren't based on faith in God. They aren't decisions that, that come from a heart of obedience towards God. And who knows what the ramifications of that will be in terms maybe of loss of faith or loss of um, ultimate security. Or maybe we would respond a bit like Naomi, who I think had faith. I think you know, she knew that Bethlehem was a place she could go back to and that there would be some kind of support for a, a poor old Israeli woman, Jewish woman, who didn't have any means of, of support. But she didn't do so joyfully and eagerly and with delight. She did so with, with bitterness and sadness and resentment in her heart. She felt that God had kind of dealt with her harshly. Or can we be people like Ruth? People who maybe are outsiders. People who would be overlooked. I, I think one of the beauties of this story and of so many characters in the Bible is that God chooses people that no one else would choose. 
God chooses people who are marginalised in society, who, who are um, stigmatised in some way. There are five women listed in Jesus' genealogy. Tamar, who was guilty of prostitution. Rahab, who was a foreign prostitute who came into the nation. Ruth, who was a Moabite. Um, and Mary, who of course was, became pregnant before she was married. All five women, there was stigma associated around their circumstances and their situations. And yet God chooses people like that, men and women, in order to fulfill his purposes. So maybe this morning you are feeling anxious. Maybe you are feeling marginalised. Maybe you're feeling like, like a foreigner in a strange land. Would you be able to respond like Ruth and say to... In one sense, say to this church, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. But more crucially, would you say that to Jesus? Would you say to Jesus, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Not knowing what the outcome will be. I, I can't say to you, if you make that kind of commitment to Jesus this morning, that your circumstances will get better. I can't say that if you make the promise to Jesus like that, the lights won't go off this winter. But what I do know is that in the long term, when we make a commitment to Jesus like that, we will find our place in God's big story. And our destiny will be to spend eternity with him where there will be no more sorrow and crying, where there'll be no famine, there will be no heartache. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that in the pages of the Bible we see time and again unlikely people meet you and make a commitment to follow you and to serve you and to be people of God. We thank you for this example in this story of Ruth who had such love for her mother-in-law and took such a great bold step of faith. Lord, we thank you that she did that not knowing what the outcome would be, but we thank you too the outcome for her was glorious. She found a good husband, she had a family, she was able to provide and became the great-grandmother of King David and ultimately the great-great however many greats there are, grandmother of Jesus. And so this morning, Heavenly Father, as we face crises of our own, crises in our own lives and our personal circumstances, crises in our nation, we say that we want to be people who will follow you every step of the way, that all our decisions will be guided by what would bring glory and honour to your name rather than what would be pragmatic or convenient for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's